But wait, there's more. Hi, everybody. It's Terry O'Reilly here, and we're happy to announce something we've never offered before. It's our But Wait, There's More subscriber package. If you're a fan of Under the Influence, you'll get more than ever before. You'll get more bonus episodes like the live recording and audience Q&A we did recently at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, exclusive for subscribers only. You'll get more podcasts with additional stories. You'll get early access so you can listen to all of our new shows before anyone else. You'll get all of our episodes, including archives, ad-free. Tisk tisk. I won't judge. You'll be invited to Ask Me Anything sit-down chats with yours truly. You'll get first dibs on tickets for live events. You'll get big discounts on Under the Influence merchandise. And that's only the beginning, all for a few bucks a month. Just go to our show page on Apple Podcasts and tap Try Free to start your free seven-day trial. Membership has its privileges. Hmm, you should copyright that. 
Roy Anderson was called the master of the minute. He was a classical composer who wrote short, light concert pieces. One of his most famous songs was written in 1950. It was titled The Typewriter Song. In it, Anderson actually played a typewriter accompanied by the Boston Pops Orchestra. The first commercially successful typewriter was manufactured and sold by E. Remington & Sons, a sewing machine company. This was also when the QWERTY keyboard was adopted. One of the reasons for the design was to avoid typewriter keys from jamming. Prior to QWERTY, letters often paired like T and H and S and T would jam, as fast typists would cause both keys to strike almost simultaneously. So QWERTY separated those letters, causing a split-second pause. One myth was that QWERTY was developed to slow typists down. Not true. It was invented to speed typing up. When I started typing, there was no exclamation mark on the keyboard. And may I say right here, I'm not that old. If you're over 45, you'll remember a time when an exclamation mark involved three keystrokes. You had to type a period, then a backspace, then type an apostrophe. The true exclamation mark didn't actually appear on keyboards until well into the 1970s. Because it involved three keystrokes, it was used sparingly. Unlike today, where it is used with hyperventilating frequency on emails and tweets. The Globe and Mail called it the grammatical mascot of the younger generation. Another interesting key is the at symbol, which is above the number two. It sat there lonely for decades, an obscure accounting symbol meaning at the rate of. Now it doesn't know what hit it. The at key is the heart of every email address and Twitter handle in the world. It may be the most used key of the era. Another dark horse on the keyboard is the Octothorpe. It is the pound sign, sitting proudly atop the number 3 key. A symbol so rarely used just three years ago that some people had to press Alt plus 3 just to generate one. Most people now know it as a hash, and Twitterers will recognize it as the symbol of a hashtag, a marker that allows tweets to be grouped by subject. But maybe the most interesting key of all is the question mark. It was first used around the 4th century as a vertical double dot. In the 8th century, it resembled a lightning flash striking from right to left. By the 13th century, the lightning flash transformed into more of a sharp curve and was put over a dot. Another school of thought believes it comes from the Latin word questio, meaning question. It was abbreviated in the Middle Ages to be a simple QO, with the lowercase Q written over the lowercase O, which then transformed into the modern question mark. Either way, it is one of our most profound symbols as it begs response, answers, and solutions. Because this is our last show of the season, I thought it would be the perfect time to answer questions that have been sent in, or shall I say typed, by our wonderful listeners. When we put out the call, the responses came in fast and furious, with ats and hashtags and lots of exclamation and question marks attached. So sit back, grab a coffee, and I'll answer the very smart and insightful questions you've sent in. Or, at least, I'll try. Bracket, exclamation mark, bracket. Bracket. 
We receive dozens and dozens of excellent questions. Some I've answered in past shows, but many were new. I had to do some research for some of them, and for others, I called up a few of my colleagues in advertising to get a point of view. So, let's begin at the beginning. Listener Eric Lysenko asks, What's the oldest known ad? Did Romans, ancient Egyptians, or even cavemen post ads for services or products? Excellent question. Very hard to answer that conclusively, Eric, but let's take a trip together, all the way back to the year 1704. As I mentioned in our classified advertising episode, the first printing press in America arrived in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1638, but the first successful newspaper wasn't established until 1704. Called the Boston Newsletter. America's very first classified ad appeared in its debut issue and was written by the publisher himself. It was an ad to solicit ads. But it's not the first ad. Let's go back to 15th century England. Here, advertisements are beginning to appear as handbills or handwritten signs nailed to posts. Hence the name, poster. But we're still not close to the first ad. Pack your bags. We're going to take a big jump back. To Pompeii, Italy. If you look closely on the walls of the ruins, you'll find listings painted in black or red for local house rentals and various services offering their wares. And this is the year AD 79. But we're not finished yet, Eric. Welcome to ancient Rome, circa 264 BC. In this era, the Romans used posters to advertise circuses and gladiator matches. Not only that, but gladiators actually endorsed products. Ridley Scott, who directed the movie Gladiator, was going to have lead character Maximus endorse an olive oil product in the story, but didn't think audiences would believe it was real. But it is historically accurate. You! It's my round gladiator! You're next! Uh oh, gotta go. We still have one more stop. Welcome to ancient Egypt, Thebes to be precise. Prior to the written word, Egyptian vendors would hawk their wares on the street. But by 4000 BC, advertisements were printed on papyrus or painted on walls, many searching for escaped slaves. Beyond this date, it's a mystery. As so little remains, some cave art in Australia has been carbon dated to 40,000 BC. Were there hunters for hire, cave interior decorators? Who knows? But there you go, Eric. There were ads at least as far back as 4,000 BC.
Okay, Blair Packham tweeted this question. Why do so many women's hair product and tampon ads run on kids' shows? I went to two of the top media buyers in the country for an answer. First, they said that many advertisers do bulk media buys at a discount. While the upside is a large package of commercial time at a lower price, the downside is that the commercials run in a bulk assortment of shows. As a result, some commercials will run in oddly matched programs. But because the media buy is so inexpensive, advertisers feel that having the commercial occasionally surface in the wrong show doesn't really matter. Then there's another interesting reason why this may happen. Advertisers know that a high percentage of mothers watch television with their kids. It's called co-viewing in industry jargon. So ads are placed in those shows to reach the secondary audience, moms. It's the same reason why Sesame Street puts so many jokes in their programs for adults. They know mom and dad are watching too. It's interesting to note that advertisers only pay for the intended target audience, though. So if the audience is 80% kids, the advertiser only pays for the 20% that is mothers. And because daytime TV is in such low demand these days, broadcasters will take whatever revenue they can get. Then, the reverse often happens. Recently, DreamWorks printed a sticker for the release of the animated movie Madagascar 3 and put it on 100 million dole bananas. So mom buys the bananas, mom sees sticker, notes new movie release, she gives banana to her kids, kids see sticker, kids bug her to take them to the movie. It's a marketing strategy called the nag factor. Kids nag mom to buy the product. This happened all the time when my daughters were growing up. Call it karma for an ad man. It's so simple yet so smart. Protection for today, security for life. All from a company I greatly admire. Guarantee Trust Life. I know them personally. They really do care about the families they protect. Celebrities, like Barbara Eden, have endorsed products forever. And Chi-Chi Lam asks, Is it a myth that celebrity endorsers must use the product in order to advertise it in a campaign? Hmm, a timely question, because the guidelines have changed recently. For years, celebrities could endorse whatever they wanted in exchange for money. Can you believe it? They're still trying to compare themselves to Coca-Cola. But these guys tried it, these guys tried it, these guys tried it, these guys tried it too, and these guys are still comparing themselves to Coca-Cola. The presumption was that the celebrity liked the product and used it. But that wasn't always the case. In 2007, the Raymond Weil Luxury Watch Company sued their own celebrity endorser, Charlize Theron, because she was seen wearing a Dior watch in a perfume ad. They were paying Theron a reported $20 million a year to wear Weil watches exclusively. While celebrity endorsement guidelines used to be a little fuzzy, they are certainly changing. In 2009, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, brought in new guidelines. Essentially, the FTC Act now states that both the advertiser and the celebrity endorser are now liable for false or unsubstantiated claims. That's new. So if a celebrity endorses something they haven't used or don't really believe in, 
and if they're found to be making false or misleading claims, they might be liable. That could spell big trouble for celebrities who haven't done their due diligence or don't use the products they endorse. Celebrities must now also disclose their material connections with the advertiser. In other words, a celebrity must now tell the public when they are being paid to endorse the product. Listen to Donny Osmond talk about a product on the Dr. Phil show. Wow, it's nonstop energy. Well, I cannot even imagine. And just for example, last night, you did a show last night that was 90 minutes starting at 7.30. That's right. Then you went through that. Then you came here. You're here this morning. That's right. Uh, doing all of this. It's nonstop. I don't sleep anymore. <laughs> no. All right. So where do you get the energy? Seriously. I mean, look at you. Well. I mean, it, I, we've known each other a long time. Yeah. We've passed. You don't, you don't ever get older. Well, thank you. It's quite funny because, you know, people are kind of shocked when they hear that I'm 54 years old. And, and they say, Where, how do you keep your youth? I have found something, Dr. Phil, that uh, I think is the closest thing to the fountain of youth. Oh, you do have a secret. I have a secret, and I've never really talked about it. Well, I've been doing this for the last two years. <laughs> it's called ProTandem, and it works. I'm telling everybody about this. In that particular clip, he doesn't say he's being paid but he is a paid spokesperson for the product. For years, those guidelines only pertain to commercials and print ads, but new endorsement guidelines cover talk shows and social media too. In Canada, the Advertising Standards Council states that testimonials must reflect the genuine current opinion of the endorser based on adequate information or experience with the product. If a court finds the claims to be false or misleading, an individual may have to pay a penalty of $750,000. A corporation may have to pay between $10 and $15 million. That's enough to even put a dent in a movie star bank account. So yes, celebrities better be using the product they stand behind. And by the way, these stipulations apply to anyone who endorses a product, even ordinary consumers. And we'll be right back. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you're enjoying this episode, why not dip into our archives? Available wherever you download your pods. Go to terryoreilly.ca for a master episode list. Steve Romaine Facebooked an interesting question. He notes that when car dealerships in Victoria run radio commercials, they all quote miles per gallon when talking fuel efficiency. But if you spent your formative years in school after 1973, you grew up in the metric age. So Steve's question is, why do Canadian advertisers still refer to imperial measurements? Good question. You'll notice some retailers offer up both imperial and metric measurements. You get a price per pound and an equivalent price per kilogram. That's a good marketing strategy, I think. I'm old school and prefer imperial, so I like to have prices explained in pounds and gallons. I still have no idea how warm 19 Celsius is. My kids have no idea what 66 degrees Fahrenheit feels like. One industry that seems to have successfully hung on to the imperial system is the building trade. You still ask for 2x4s and half-inch copper piping. But in the end, the answer is to know your customer. If marketers are catering to multiple generations, using both imperial and metric is a smart thing to do. What price would we pay? What behavior would we forgive? If they weren't pretty, if they weren't temperamental, if they weren't beyond our reach and a little out of our control, would we love them like we do? Jaguar. At last, something beautiful you can truly own. Both Lena El Jabi and Jennifer Thuncher asked, which works better, traditional advertising or product placement in TV shows and movies? The answer is... It depends. Traditional advertising focuses on a product or company without any other distractions in the messaging. It is completely controlled by the advertiser. On the other hand, product placement is when brands are put into movies or TV shows as part of the storyline. The chances of a viewer sitting through a product placement segment in a TV show are higher than that same person sitting through a commercial break. But the product is not the star as a rule. In many instances, the product is incidental to the action. For example, the hero may enjoy a Coke while having a conversation with another character, but the Coke has no impact on the story. On the other hand, there have been times where the product placement is central to the story. In the TV series Mad Men, for example, Hilton Hotels was a central plotline one season. Hilton paid for that, and the storyline was terrific. Sometimes, brands get used in plotlines without their permission. In this past season of Mad Men, 
ad agency Sterling Cooper Draper Price was pitching the Jaguar account. The Jag client says he'll give the account to the ad agency if he can sleep with one of the agency's female employees. That episode didn't make Jaguar look good, but it was fiction. By the way, Matthew Weiner has stated that he can use brands without their permission because it's fiction set almost 50 years ago. So, Lena and Jennifer, sometimes product placement is good, sometimes not. Logan Gamble sent us a very insightful question. He asks, What effect will the loss of the penny have on 99-cent advertising? Excellent question. Using 99 cents in a price offer is a long-standing technique in marketing, especially in the world of retail. A combined $50 value, yours today for only $19.99. And get the other phone absolutely free. Other kitchen slicers sell for double the price, and they don't even include the catch container. But order right now, and you'll pay just $19.99. And for a limited time, order your stocking for just $19.99, and we'll include a matching ornament absolutely free. Order your potty patch today for just $29.99. 99 cent price endings are often referred to as charm prices, as they make people feel they are getting an especially good deal. There is interesting psychology at work here. When we hear a price ending in 99 cents, we tend to round down. So a 9.99 price reads as $9 in our minds. Retail analyst William Poundstone calls this the left digit effect. Shoppers will tend to evaluate the price based on the left digit, not the right ones. One exception to this would be markdown prices. We tend to think if a discount is easy to calculate, it's a better bargain. So an item that says, originally $20, now $15, sounds better to us than, originally $20, now $13.99. You'll be tempted to go with the first offer, even though the latter saves you more money. Simplicity overrules logic. Back to Logan's question about how the disappearing penny will affect 99-cent charm pricing. At 11 a.m. on Friday, May 4th of 2012, a ceremony was held at the Royal Canadian Mint to say goodbye to the one-cent coin. While it will take until the fall to distribute all the pennies now on hand, the Mint will no longer produce them. According to the government, every penny struck costs 1.6 cents to make, which costs an additional $11 million per year. So, here's the going forward plan. The government expects that businesses will apply rounding in a fair and transparent manner. The rounding will not be done on single items, but on the final bill of sale after taxes. If the price ends in a one, two, six, or seven, it gets rounded down to zero or five. If the price ends in three, four, eight, or nine, the price gets rounded up. This will only apply to cash transactions. Prices will still be charged to the cent with credit and debit cards. If you're sitting on a jar of pennies and wondering if you should start using them before they get pulled out of circulation, apparently the Currency Act states a purchase in one cent coins is legal tender only if the item costs no more than 25 cents. Never knew that. Guess that's why I get the hairy eyeball from my dry cleaner every week. Moving on. 
According to a study done by the Bank of Canada, the inflationary effect of eliminating the penny will be small to non-existent. But the effect on marketers will be interesting. Infomercials have long relied on the pull of 99-cent offers. A seductive price point that signals a bargain is in the air. But because those purchases are usually done via credit cards, it probably means 99-cent pricing will remain for a while yet. Australia and Brazil and many European countries have all gotten rid of their pennies. But the U.S. hasn't. So commerce will continue to be influenced by the penny for some time. A very interesting question, Logan, considering how powerful the 99-cent offer has been in marketing for decades. Thanks for that. Melanie Jew tweeted this question. What is a more important objective for a startup company? Creating culture with clients or sales numbers? My answer is always culture. Create an internal company culture first. Culture attracts the top minds and they in turn attract the best clients. I talked about this in a recent episode. The purpose of your company will determine its success. Not your product or your service, but the reason you offer it. Company culture is a competitive advantage. Your competitors can copy your price and your look, but they can't create culture out of thin air. A unique culture attracts loyal employees. Loyal employees attract loyal clients. Sales numbers will fall out of that. My two cents. Or I guess I'll have to round that down to my zero cents. Doesn't have quite the same ring, does it? I'd like to take this moment to thank you, our listeners, for a great season. You not only send me amazing articles and links, which I appreciate and always look at, but you also send me great episode ideas too. We make this show for you, so your input is welcomed and appreciated. The questions we answered today are no exception. But of one thing, there is no question, and that is how amazing the people are behind the scenes at Under the Influence. And being that this is our last show of the season, I'd like to tell you who those people are. Our incredible sound engineer is Keith Oman, who has engineered every single episode since day one, seven years ago. Our great theme music was written by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. Studio booking and show distribution is handled by Tina Mertzke. All show coordination and scheduling is handled by Debbie O'Reilly. Digital and podcast responsibilities deftly stick-handled by Tim Whitley and the CBC's amazing Ananda Kurczynski. Visual elements for each episode posted by Sidney O'Reilly. I had some very resourceful researchers on board this season. Thank you Myra Elbeyumi, Courtney Pitcher, and Warren Brown. And a big thank you to Chris Straw, Senior Director of Network Talk at CBC for all his unwavering support. And to Chris Boyce, Executive Director of CBC Radio, who took a chance on a crazy little show about advertising seven years ago. And finally, thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be under the influence again next January. Have a great summer. I'm Terry O'Reilly.
Hello, Terry. This is Logan Gamble calling. You featured my question today about the disappearance of the penny. I have to say, I'm not happy about the disappearance of Under the Influence. January is a long wait. What do you say we just round that off to August? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com